Well, before we get into our text today, I just want to take a couple minutes and uh, one, say thank you for allowing uh, Karen and I and Nick and Jill and Eric and Krista, as well as the Clarks, joined us, but uh, especially us to be able to have a number of days this earlier this week to go up to, uh, as we call it around here, Big Harvest, and uh, up in Chicago, and we were at uh, Harvest University for three days and just had a great time together. Um, two things. One, just the, the time was uh, totally enjoyable for me, just to be reminded of how grateful I am to have Nick and Eric on staff with us and just to have their wives and being able to be a team together, just as staff. I'm grateful for you guys, okay? Totally grateful for you guys. Yet at the same time, those are sometimes the types of things you get away, and I just go, I'm so grateful for these guys who uh, love Christ and uh, want to be used by him in effective ways and just love them, and I'm so grateful for that. Secondly, I just was reminded how immensely good God has been to us here. And uh, probably in the coming, <clears throat> more likely the coming months, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about some of that. Um, but if you're newer here and uh, Harvest, we are a part of not just ourselves. We're part of the body of Christ, but we are also a part of Harvest Bible Chapel, a uh, ministry up in Chicago, a uh, large ministry up in Chicago. We're the 25th church plant of Harvest, and Harvest is all about lifting high the name of Christ, committed to his word, and doing life to honor God. And uh, I'm just so grateful to be a part of this ministry as a whole. In fact, I've got a DVD here if I'd like for us to, uh, to play, and then we're going to pray together afterwards. In some ways, this talks about missions, and I just wanted to remind us, because here likely in a week or two, I'm going to be talking with you about how all of you, we've got 30 people who are preparing to go over to uh, Romania this summer on two ministry trips, and uh, you all want to be a part of that, right? <clears throat> okay. And uh, there's a way even just financially to be a part of that. We've kind of be, been keeping that a little bit low here lately as we get ready for it, but we'll be talking in the weeks to come. But just watch this as a remind us what we're a part of. What does missions look like? How do we make disciples of all nations? How does this affect the way missions should be done? This is our story. This is his story through us. In September of 1988, the Lord gathered 18 men and women together in Chicago, Illinois. Under the leadership of James McDonald, this church would come to be known as Harvest Bible Chapel. Twelve years later, in March of 2000, after witnessing the growth of this church beyond all human expectations, the leadership stepped out in great faith and began the new process of planting churches. Harvest Bible Fellowship was born. four churches were planted, three in Illinois and one in Ontario. Lives were changed, families were restored, addictions were conquered, 
Jesus Christ was rescuing person after person. What happened next, no one predicted. No one could have imagined over 35 churches. Rolling Meadows, Illinois. Naperville, Illinois. Barry, Ontario. Crystal Lake, Illinois. Lake Zurich, Illinois. Rockford, Illinois. Oakville, Ontario. Davenport, Iowa. Rad, Romania. New Lenox, Illinois. York Region, Ontario. Peoria, Illinois. Prescott, Arizona. Canton, Michigan. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Illinois. Indianapolis, North. Jupiter, Florida. St. Louis, Missouri. West Cater, Illinois. Muskoka, Ontario. Indianapolis, West Indiana. Granger, Phoenix, Arizona. Over 25,000 people attend these churches. Churches where the word is preached, churches where Jesus Christ is worshipped, churches where prayer is fervent, churches where evangelism is bold, churches which last year alone consisted of over 900 small groups and witnessed over 1,500 baptisms. What the Lord is doing is simply amazing. What will the next decade bring? By God's grace alone, 18 Harvest Churches are being planned for 2009, including the United States, Canada, Poland, Russia, Liberia, Scotland, Romania, and St. Vincent. 18 churches this year. The harvest is being gathered. The Lord Jesus is being worshipped. And we are a part of this mission. So what does missions look like? Simply put, it looks awesome. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, we come before you again um, thanking you for being a part of what you're doing just through Harvest. There are churches all over this country in this area that love you, are pursuing you, and we pray for them as well. Father, we pray that your church would be strong and true to you and your word and to the ministry of the Spirit of God in the lives of people. Father, I also pray just specifically for our Romania team members the, the 30 that are preparing to go over here the end of June and beginning of July. And God, I pray, would you be preparing them? Lord, big reality is the financial thing. Lord, would you show yourself there as they're uh, seeking to work on raising the funds? Would you bless them so that they can go and have an impact, not only just in, over in Romania, but an impact in their lives and an impact in this church? Because, God, we don't want to be just about us that would be a mistake. We want to be about you, and you are about the world. You're awesome. In your name we pray. Amen. Grab your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. We are uh, in this great journey, a story of redemption, uh, with the people of Israel back in this day. And uh, let's just jump in. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some people coming around with a Bible because uh, I, just, <laughs> I just want Bibles on your laps, okay? There is something about looking in your own Bible, marking it up, loving it, reading it, digging it, and that's what we want to be about. So let's do that. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. Let's pick up. One day when Moses had grown up. Okay, hold there. Uh, get, 
You know, we kind of go and stop, go and stop around here. All right, now, what does that mean? Well, one day, Moses had grown up. I understand this. Here in a little bit, we're going to go to a passage that's going to clarify that he's 40 years old at this point. You've got to get this in your heads at this point. This is not a guy who's just like, isn't that cute teen or isn't that, you know, neat, whatever. This is a 40-year-old man at this point in time. So from verse 10 to verse 11, we have a, somewhere in the arena of about a 35-year gap. And so Moses is 40 years old. How old is Moses here? 40. He's 40 years old. Okay, he's 40 years old. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And he looked... And Moses looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Uh, verse 13, when he went out the next day, behold, I love the way the Bible is sometimes, behold, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, <laughs> Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid. Okay, let's go back. In the grammar structure of this text, a couple things. There's three phrases, words, concepts that are repeated three times, at least three times here. Now let me just highlight them too, and then we're going to go back. One of them is his people. It's in verse 11 twice, and it's kind of implied in verse 13. It says, the Hebrews. Okay? Uh, then there's a looking on thing, a seeing thing. It's in verse 11, he looked. In verse, uh, uh, twice in verse 11, looked, he saw. Then verse 12, he looked. Then verse 13, behold, which is kind of a concept of behold looking on that next day. Then there's a third concept of fighting. There's beating that's taking place. There's striking. There's a struggling in verse 11, verse 12, and verse 13. So I'd put it this way. In this passage so far, we see there's an emphasis on a people thing going on here. In other words, uh, maybe term it this way, modern day. Term it this way. These are Moses' peeps. I'll uh, just tell you, there's a peep thing going on here. And we're going to see that. There's also an emphasis on a looking thing, uh, and we're going to hit that. There's an emphasis on a fighting thing that's going on here. So now with that in mind, let's go back and take a look at it again. It's just a short passage. One day when Moses was how old? 40 years old, he went out to his peeps, his people. Now listen to me. There is clearly a very significant tie going on here between Moses and his people. And as we're going to see here in a little bit, I think you're going to see even more why. And I think very clearly Moses knows having as a child, born a Hebrew, put in the water, picked up by Pharaoh's daughter, raised by... <laughs> Cool, cool as cool can be way, raised by his mom and his family till he was weaned and then taken back to Pharaoh as Pharaoh's daughter, as her son, raised as her son, and then at 40 years old, now he's out there, and I think Moses knows he's a Hebrew. And he's with his people. 
And he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. Now the term looked on here, the Hebrew word for looked on, is the same words that's used seven times. How interesting in light of what I made mention last week about how Moses as a baby was fine. Remember seven times that same word is used in Genesis chapter 1 when God steps back and he takes a look after day one creation. He goes, that is fine. That's the exact same Hebrew word. And then he does it again, does it again. Now here's the other cool thing. This word here, the looked on, it's the exact same Hebrew word that is used of God seven times in Genesis chapter 1, describing how God looks on and then says, that's fine. So the point is this. This is not a casual look, like, oh, look at those people. Isn't that too bad? That's not what's going on here. Moses is going on, and he's taking a step back. He's going on, and he's looking on his people. And he's taking in, in essence, like God after creation day number one, goes, look at that. Look at that. That is fine. And here Moses is going out with his people, and he looks on their burdens. We clearly get this picture here that Moses is feeling what's taking place here in reality. And he looks on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. The word for beating here is beating to kill. And he's beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And Moses, he looks this way and he looks that after seeing what's taking place. And he strikes the Egyptian, kills him, and then buries him in the dirt. In the sand. In Indiana, it'd be the dirt. And then when he's out the next day, behold, two Hebrews are struggling together. Now these are, it's one thing, it's, to Egypt, it's an Egyptian and a Hebrew, but now it's Hebrews, it's the peeps. It's his people, now they're fighting and struggling. And he comes to the man, why do you strike your companion? They're quarreling, the word is talking about quarreling, but the word in the way Moses responds to it is talking about striking as to kill. It's the same word that's talking about the Egyptian to the Hebrew. And then the guy answers them. Who made you prince? Who made you judge? Does that not remind you junior high and senior high? Sorry, junior highers and senior highs, but it does me. You know, someone comes around and says, you're not supposed to do that. Who made you judge? Isn't that? And here's this guy's response. Hey, listen, what's going on here? Turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. I think this is just so important here. To get a grasp of what's really going on here in Acts chapter 7. And let's pick up in Acts 7 at verse 17. Now, Acts chapter 7, Stephen is giving his final speech, his final sermon. And if you look in your Bible at the end of chapter 7, what happens to Stephen at the end of the chapter? He's stoned to death. This is the last time this man is speaking before he's about to die. And basically Stephen goes through the Old Testament and through history and gives a full account coming all the way up to Christ and the cross and the resurrection. And we're going to jump in at verse 17. But as the time of the promise, as Stephen is talking here, but as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham and uh, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. Man, this is so Exodus chapter 1, verse 19. And he dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. Love that. I just don't think that's physical. And he was brought up for three months in the father's house 
and in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in his words. Don't forget that for next week. Interesting. And he was mighty in his words and his deeds. Verse 23. And when he was, how old? 40 years old. This is why we know he was 40 years old in Exodus 2, verse 11. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Let's skip verse 25. We'll come right back. Verse 26. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And at this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now let's go to verse 25. Huge verse. In understanding what's going on in Moses' mind. Verse 25. He, Moses, supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. There's two ways this could be interpreted. In other words, at the fight, at the fussing that's taking place, there Moses is there, he comes in, and, he's, and it could be, and some think this is saying, this that he came in and he saved him from being killed right at that moment. I don't think this is what this is talking about. I personally have a view that I think Moses knew that God had called him to deliver the people of Israel. And you may have a different view on that, and that's okay on this. Because it is a debatable thing. But I just want to tell you, I think there's way too many things in this to be able to come and look at it and not have some sense that Moses knew that God had a special call on his life. With that in mind, let's go back to Exodus chapter 2. When Moses was how old? He grew up. He grew up and he goes out to his people. His people. Listen, if I'm understanding Acts chapter 7 correctly, Moses knew that he was a Hebrew. And not only that, but Moses knew that he, they were his people. But Moses knew that God was going to use him in a very significant way to deliver his people from their burdens. And there he is. He's raised in, Har- in, in Harvest U. And he's raised at Pharaoh University. And there he is. And then he takes this two-day field trip. And he takes this two-day field trip out of the limo, out of the mansion, out of all the glory, the executive lounge, you know, the, the platinum card, golf cart stuff in the desert. And there he is, and he leaves all that, and he comes down. And by the way, it says in Acts that God put it in his heart to go check out his people. And Moses comes down, and he sees their burden. He comes up, looking on, and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And so what's he going to do? I just want to tell you, Moses, a couple things. Moses is a guy who sees great injustice throughout, and we're going to see that in the rest of the passage. This, this is not a I'm too sexy for my shirt kind of guy. This is a guy who I think knows that God has a special call in his life. And he comes down, and he's not braggadocious about it. He just comes down, and he's seeing what's going on. And he sees this situation taking place, and it's time to step in. And so he steps in. I don't think in the right way. 
I don't think killing this guy, this Egyptian, was the answer. So what Moses does is he comes down and he, he sees the situation taking place and he's got to do something. I mean, he's been raised as to be a doer. He's been raised with all the training of Egypt. And there he is. He sees the situation. Take care of it. I mean, that's a leader right there. And so it's like, take care of it. And so what does he do? He goes, he looks around. By the way, in the text where it says he looks around two ways, it can be that there was nobody around or he's looking around to make sure nobody is around who could uh, tattle on him which would be an Egyptian, which I think is the case there. Don't know. I'm just being straight with you. I think that's what's going on because the Hebrews know about it. Either they were peeking around the sand dune or they were, some of them were still there and word got out. I think he's looking around to make sure there's no other Egyptian around. And then he grabs this and he beats the guy to death with his own hands, with this rod or stick or whatever, beats the guy. And then he, you just picture it, in the sand, down on his knees. You know, he's digging all, pulling the sand away. Can't you just see that? Here's this 40-year-old guy, killed this guy, pulled all the sand over, and then rolls him into it, and then takes his own hands, puts all the sand back over, you know, kind of... You know, getting it around, and you know, it looks like nothing happened. It's like, you know, isn't that, you know, and, and here's Moses in this situation there. And I just want to say this I think here in this situation, I'm just taking one situation, but Moses' fingerprints are all over this specific situation. And I don't think it pleased God. But I will say this God ended up using it. God is so big that God can use even our foolish sin. God, God will use that. But, but here's what I want to do, just, just for a moment. Because I, I, you know, we're learning about Moses, we're seeing him come as this leader. But I want to take a, a moment here with this situation and, and make an observation. An observation in Moses and an observation in other people and an observation in my own life. Um, what does it look like when my fingerprints are all over my plans? What does it look like when my fingerprints are all over my plans? I think four things are common things that take place. When my fingerprints are all over it, four things. One, there's lots of activity. There's just lots of activity. We just got to do. We do, we do, we do, we do. Now, I'm all about doing things. And in fact, too often, we don't do squatsville. And so we want to be doers of the word. We want to be not just hearers, but doers as well, right? We want to be doers. Christ was a doer. We want to be doers. But at the same time, when we put all these together, uh, oftentimes in life, when my fingerprints are all over things, a lot of times it's like, because I'm doing, 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 doing. And it's like I'm forcing it, I'm working it, I'm strategizing. Listen, again, I'm not saying don't strategize, I'm not saying don't plan, I'm not saying any of that, but when you combine these together, there's aspects, you look back and you go, man, I'm just, my fingerprints of activity are just all that. Busy, 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 busy. Uh, by the way, I think that's the case in a lot of churches where we validate how effective we are for Christ by how many programs we have. And we get wide in about this deep. I just don't want to rabbit trail into it too far, but I do want to say this. Uh, we, going back to Harvest U, I'm just so glad that we right now are so simple. Church, small groups, let's be a church. Let's just work on being a church together first. I mean, we're only 14 months old. Let's just be church and not do, 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 do and everything going on. So there's lots of activity. Secondly, there's lots of urgency. It's got to be done now. I've got to stop it now. I've got to take it now. I've got to go there now. 
I just got, I can't wait. Because, listen, God called me to ministry. This is something oftentimes here. God called me to ministry. And if I don't get there now, I'm not being faithful to God. Oh, really? We'll see what happens with Mo here in a little bit. We have a lot of activity, oftentimes a lot of urgency, and third, a lot of emotion. No, I'm not anti-emotion. You know me who around here a while. I'm a pretty thin-skinned, kind of emotional guy. I'm all for passion. But I'm talking about emotion-driven lives. Lives where emotion is the driving force. And I think here Moses is looking and he sees the injustice that's taking place. And he's a doer. He's I've got to do something about it. And I've got to do something about it right now. And so, boom, <laughs> type of a thing. And just the emotion of the injustice that is indeed being done. And he acts upon it there. The activity, the urgency, the emotion, and forth. It's just about me. There's a whole lot of me there. When I look back at things taking place, it's my actions, it's my emotions, it's my timing, it's how I see it. And I just want to say this, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the follower of Jesus Christ has been called to be a doer and to pursue righteousness. You've been called to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. We're having some training here in a couple of weeks for that to help you better do that. We're about actively being a one anothering church. God has called you, and God has called us to be an example of the body of Christ here in the west side of Indianapolis. But I also want to remind us that we can also have our fingerprints all over this thing. And we've got to be careful. As a church, you need to be careful. As an individual, I need to be careful in my life because, listen, I don't want activity, activity, activity in my emotions and, and manipulating of people and, and now, 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 now and, and luring us back and looking at, look at what I did, look at what we did. This is about what God's done. Let's read verse 14 and 15. Then Moses was afraid. Why was he afraid? Well, he was afraid because he was afraid he was going to get caught, and he did. And then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing, this, this surely the thing is known. And it was. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of it, we don't know how long. Was it a day? Was it a two days? Was it a week? Don't know. But when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. Grandfather, his great-grandfather. Why? He's a traitor. I mean, he's a traitor. He's siding with the slaves. And as a leader in Pharaoh's position, with his worldview, it makes complete sense to take him out. So Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Well, let's take a look at a map here. And uh, on this map here, We've got over here in the upper corner there, we've got this, this is the Nile River that comes up and then kind of the tributaries come out into the ocean there. And then the top circle is kind of the land of Goshen. That's where really the slaves are at. This is the area of Egypt over here in the land of Goshen. The land of Midian is right over here. Okay, so you can see somehow Moses made this trek. That's about a 250 mile trek. Okay, no jet. None of that. Let's go to the next map, a topographical map here. Just to kind of give you an idea, over here again is the, the land of, uh, what's that? Goshen, the land of Goshen over here by Egypt. He treks through the area, and I brought the topographical map up, so hopefully you can kind of see over in the land of Midian, uh, if you can make that out, that in essence, it, it's quite mountainous. 
It's also very dry. Let's go to the next slide, a satellite view. Okay, and I think this helps us see. Look at how nice and green it is over there in the land of Goshen in Egypt. You know, it's kind of like a golf course over there. And then you come over here, and look at that. Is that not beautiful? Wouldn't you just want to live there? It's just so that you know, Moses is over in this region over here. The land of Midian is nothing to, to brag about that great. It's a lot of dirt, a lot of desert, a lot of sand. And it's pretty rugged territory, but that's where we find him. I also want to note this. I do not think that this was his punishment. Listen, I'll put it this way. God wanted to get him here. And God was going to get him here. I don't think God said, hey, Moses, I want for you to kill this guy to get there. But God was going to get him here because God's got some more training to do in this guy's life. So this wasn't punishment, but God gets him where God wants him to be. Let's pick up in verse 16. He sits down by a well. In verse 16, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to, to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drew... By the way, do you have, those of you who like have a few years on you, are you already just picturing the movie? Is that not amazing how that just ingrains in you? You can see the sisters all out there in the little Hollywood dorky set, you know, that was incredible back in that day. Uh, try and get rid of some of that because uh, it does, it's not the greatest historical uh, thing. Now, the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Verse 17, then shepherds came and drove them away, the ladies away. But Moses stood up and saved them. I love this. This guy's a doer, and he sees a justice again, and he does something about it. Now, I think he's a little bit like a great potential racehorse. Great potential, but a little bit quick on the feet, not quite knowing where the track is. And so he's acting here, reacting here, and Moses stood up and saved them. Way to go, dude, man. No wonder these ladies were like, yeah, and wanted their flock, and, and, and he watered their flock. Let me add into this. He's an Egyptian. He had to have some dress, I'm assuming. Maybe, maybe not. As an Egyptian, maybe somehow he got some other clothes. But there he is. He's an Egyptian, and he's there. And they know he's an Egyptian here in a bit. And he's watering these women's uh, animals, which is completely not the norm. Verse 18, and when they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, how is it that... How is it, he said to the daughters, how is it that you have come home so soon today? Verse 19, and they said, an Egyptian delivered us. <laughs> an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. Man, they're in love. Verse 20, and he said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah, and she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Imagine naming your child Alien. Hey, Alien, come here. But I want to tell you something that puts a lot of understanding in where Moses is at. Um, he's in the land of Midian. He's at Desert University. And I'll say this. There's a common statement that said it took 40 years in, in the desert. It took 40 years to get Egypt out of him. Maybe so. I think it took 40 years for God to grow him, to put into him 
I don't think he had everything that he needed to have, and God didn't want to take stuff out. God wanted to put stuff in. In fact, later we find God uses his Egyptian, Egyptian training background for his good. And God puts into this guy. Uh, listen, friends, there is no such thing as unusable time in our lives from God's perspective. And we are so often, in our culture, we are so often about being doers. Do, do, accomplish, accomplish, activity, activity. (laughs) And God wants us to be. And that means just times of silence and obscurity. I don't know, maybe you're at a time in your life where you're like, God, why am I here at this place in this stage now? Like, I see no good out of this deal right now. Big God. God is not in a hurry, friends. He's going to do his thing, and that includes growing you and I. In our culture, we just want (laughs) to microwave everything. There's a big God on the throne, and God needed to send Moses 40 years. We talked about when my fingerprints are all over. Generally, there's activity, urgency, emotion, and me. Let's talk about when God's fingerprints are all over my life. I think this is just kind of a character trait here. One of the things is time. There's great benefit of time. Moses is going to be in the desert for 40 years. By the way, may I remind us that for Abraham, it was decades until he had a son. And by the way, when he dies, it's like, I don't see the stars of the nation that you promised me. Hey, listen, God is patient. He's got plenty of time. Joseph, in jail, in jail, being trained for 13 years. Job. Learned about a big God through his unimaginable times of despair and pain. Jeremiah, 40 years of faithful preaching and teaching and service to Yahweh. And after 40 years, he's crying his eyes out because he's like, no impact. We don't see God like that was a waste. No, 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 no. Jeremiah was all about being faithful to Yahweh. God was greatly pleased by his faithfulness. The results are God's deal. Uh, Daniel is a teen taken captive to a foreign land to serve them his whole life. Never asked for that. Paul, three years in Damascus. We don't know really hardly anything about three years after his miraculous conversion. And then he spends years in jail after it. Jesus Christ, 30 years till the cross and the empty tomb. He could have been crucified when he was five. He was still the unblemished, perfect lamb then. I think Moses, this is just Doug, I think Moses had a lot to learn. I think he needed to learn to be a husband. I think he needed to learn what it was like to be a dad. I think he needed to learn what it was like to be a businessman. 
businessman. Absolutely. Raising a flock? Yeah, listen, cash flow. It just happens to be a different commodity. He had to protect the land. And I think he just had to be in obscurity. Again, maybe you feel like you're at a stage of life where it's just totally obscure. Hey, big God. Time. Uh, by the way, listen, Psalm 78, 70 to 72. Write it down. Psalm 78, 70 to 72. Karen cross-stitched this for me. It's in my office. It says this about David. He, God, chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. He chose David, his servant, took him from the sheep pens. From tending sheep, he, God, brought David to be shepherd of his people, Jacob. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. Why did David lead well? Because he led dumb sheep well. He who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. And we oftentimes want to be faithful in much, and we haven't learned to be faithful in the little. That's why we see in Timothy and Titus where it talks about a man who takes a position of deacon or elder. If you're not faithful at home, what are you doing being put in a position of leadership in a church? got to go real quick from time second uh, i think god's fingerprints are all over our lives when we see testing oh my is there a lot of testing being a husband and a wife i'm with you okay husband and a wife i mean there's just we learn how selfish we are it's unbelievable as a dad oh even more learning how selfish i am as a businessman as a son-in-law there's a lot just always testing look at the bible look at the people testing and a lot of smallness third there's a lot of smallness. Oh, listen, learning solitude, what life is really about, not about me or success compared to other people, but it's about being. I can bring great glory to God in the most obscure, seemingly irrelevant, seemingly unimportant times of life. In every time of life, God can be brought great joy and pleasure because it's about loving him. And I just think of here, the people already who are serving in children's ministries, those who are loving the little, set up and tear down, the sound guys. The only time those guys get known is when something goes bad and it's like, who cares? Love you guys. And girls, we have serving in that as well. There's a lot of time, a lot of testing, a lot of smallness, and a lot of God Understand, this story is not about Moses. This story, the hero of this story is God. And life is not about me. Oh man, I wish it was. But it's not. And I'm sorry, life is not about you. Life is about a wonderful creator who is patient and gracious and loving and holy and just. Well, I've got to wrap it up. We've seen Moses go from birth to 40 years, the desert obscurity. And um, I just have this question. Whose fingerprints are presently all over your life right now? I think this is just one of those times to take a moment back and 
I don't think this was the characteristic process of Moses' life. We really don't know. But this one incident and what takes place, I just sit back and I go, as God tells us about this man coming to the place, how he's working him, training him, working, it just makes me step back and go, wait a second, are my fingerprints all over my life or are God's fingerprints all over my life? Out of the characteristics, which are the ones who kind of encompass where you're at right now, what your present thinking is right now? Is it about activity and urgency and emotion and me? even if it's well-intentioned. Moses was well-intentioned killing that guy. We could even say he deserved it. But well-intentioned does not mean right. And so if your fingerprints are all over your life, I would just say this, encourage you and challenge you to say this, stop and chill. Seriously. It's time for a new paradigm step back and take a look because I just I want God's fingerprints all over my life and I'm struggling every day to put mine just like you and I want God's fingerprints all over this place if God's fingerprints are uh, on your life Be encouraged. Continue. God is big. God is faithful. And by the way, don't rush. Why 40 years? I don't know. Why not 10? 10 seems like a lot. I don't know. 40 years. Well, next week, we're going to see Moses talk to the man. We're going to see Moses come before God after 40 years. 40 years of training. 40 years of very purposed time. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you so much for your patience in our lives. I thank you so much for how good you are to us. Father, I would pray that we would be the kind of people that really desire and pursue to have your fingerprints all over our lives. Lord, you want to put your fingerprints all over our lives. You just want to smatter us up all over the place in a good way with the work of you. Father, I pray that we would be the kind of people that have scripture and prayer and the work of the Spirit of God and our minds purpose to you that that would be all over our lives lord may we be a church that's not about us but may we be a church that's all about you may we behold you for you are great in your name we pray amen